So, um, this uh, sermon, it's a bit shorter than normal. Um, it's about uh, a church controversy that took place uh, 2,000 years ago. <laughs> now, uh, you may not be very thrilled to hear about a sermon on a church controversy, <laughs> uh, especially one that took place such a long time ago. Uh, and you may say, well, what, what's that got to do with me, Raish, in 2021, you know? Um, why are we focusing on that? And if I said to you, it's a debate about uh, circumcision, you would say, well, that really has nothing to do with me in 2021 and all the issues that I have. But uh, I think it's important just to remember at the start that Luke wrote Acts. And he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And you may remember in 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 it says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that's the purpose of preaching and teaching. It's to, it's to encourage us to, to know God and to be strong in the faith that we, that we have. And if you're strong in your faith, you're more likely to be able to be useful to God. So I would say that this passage from Acts 15 is not a boring part of church history. It's a very vital part because it deals with the question how we human beings are saved. That's the essence. How are we saved from judgment and hell? Well, this passage is all about that, really. How can we have confidence that we are right with God? This passage is all about that. How can we know for certain that we are in a right relationship with God? That we are on the right path? This passage deals with that. So therefore, at this first service in 2021, what could be more important than to, as it were, go back to our factory settings, you know? What is it, the essence of who we are? To remind ourselves of the basis of our spiritual confidence that we are saved by Jesus Christ, by his sacrifice on the cross. But the question that's put in this passage is, is that all that's needed for salvation? Or is there something else that we need to add to it? That was the question that was being debated. Is there something additional that you and I, as individuals, must do to secure our salvation? Is salvation by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, is that sufficient? <clears throat> That's the essence of what this meeting was about. Or do we need to add something else to curry favour with God? Because, friends, we are the Gentile Christians that this discussion was about. We are the, the, the non-Jew Christians. So what happened 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem matters to you and I. And this New Year's service, we will have a little bit later uh, a doxology, uh, which means a doxology is, is like a, a doctrine put together of truth of what we believe. The assurance of salvation, by faith alone, through grace alone, 
in Christ alone. That's a lovely doxology, isn't it? What better way to start? So let's start, first of all, chapter 15, if you have it in front of you, verses 1 to 5, is the gospel being attacked. The gospel of truth is being attacked. The context is that Paul and Barnabas have returned from their first missionary journey. And if you see there, verse 27 of chapter 15, it says, Paul says, God opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. God opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. That's wonderful, isn't it? That sums up their journey when they went to tell people about the Lord Jesus, people who had never heard it before. Yes, Paul could have talked about their preaching in the synagogues. Yes, Paul could have talked about the persecution they experienced. Yes, they could have talked about the miracles. But the thing that he summed up, 15 Verse 27, um, I, I think I've got that uh, wrong. It's somewhere, someone will see where it says that they opened up the door, a door of faith to the Gentiles. 14. 14. 14 Thank you very much. Yeah, 14 Yes, there we are. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and they reported all that God had done through them, and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. That's the essence of the first missionary journey, really. But now, in Acts chapter 15, verse 1 to 5, we see a party of these ex-Pharisees coming all the way from Judea, and they come with a false teaching. What they're saying is this. In order to be a true Christian, the Gentiles need to keep the law of Moses. And they need to be circumcised if they want to be uh, true Christians. They need to cut their flesh. I mean, that's awful. It was like, you know, the door of faith has opened and now we're trying to sort of shut it on you and say that there's extra stuff you didn't do. Now imagine if you were a Gentile convert back in the church of Antioch. It's a great church, it's a, it's a growing church, it's a, it's, a, it's a happy spiritual church. The door of faith has been opened to you. You've been converted. Barnabas has encouraged you, Paul has come and uh, taught you great things. Uh, and when Barnabas came, all he said, if you look at uh, chapter 11, verse 23, he says, just carry on in the faith and be steadfast. He doesn't say anything about being circumcised. Then later Barnabas brought Paul all the way to Antioch and to teach the church for a whole year. It doesn't say anywhere in the teaching of Paul that he taught about circumcision for Gentiles. It doesn't say it anywhere. He doesn't say anywhere that the sacrifice of Jesus is good, but you need to do another self-sacrifice by cutting your flesh. It doesn't say that anywhere. And the Holy Spirit does not say that because if you look at verse, uh, chapter 13 verse 1 when Paul and Barnabas are sent out look what the Holy Spirit says um, um, here we are it says while they were worshipping this is chapter 13 verse 2 the, the, Lord, the Holy Spirit said set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them so after they fasted and prayed they placed their hands and sent them off they didn't say um, right, Paul and Barnabas, you're going on a missionary journey, 
you must now talk about grace but also circumcision. Didn't say that. But here out of the blue in chapter 15 verse 1 come some professing Christians, ex-Pharisees, all the way to tell them you need to be circumcised or you're not saved. You need to keep the law of Moses or you're going to go to hell. That's effectively what they were saying. No wonder later in Galatians chapter 1 verse 7 Paul says these words. But I know there are people who are harassing you and who want to pervert the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul summed it up well. This is a harassment. This is a perversion of the good news. And no doubt it was troubling young believers. It is troubling. Imagine this. Imagine if I had invited um, a guest speaker to come um, to preach here. And he was, uh, or she was a well-known speaker. Imagine I'd invited them to come here and that person seemed to have spiritual authority. But then from this pulpit, he said, if there's anybody in this church who hasn't been baptised by full immersion as adults, you're not a true Christian. Imagine that. Or imagine um, they, the preacher said something like this. You're not really a true Christian unless you speak with the gift of tongues. And if you heard that from someone that I'd invited to preach here, you would be disturbed. You would say, this is, this is, this is not what I've heard before. Is this true? Have I missed something? You would be very troubled. Well, I don't think many of you would actually, because I think you're actually quite sound spiritually. But you can imagine this. For young converts, it would be troubling, wouldn't it? False teaching is a perversion of God's truth. And it's a threat to our assurance. And it closes the door of faith. So this party of ex-Pharisees coming all the way from Jerusalem, wherever, um, had brought extra commands. It's not like they'd said, you know, you've got freedom in Christ, what you thought you had. Now here's some extra burdens. Let's place them on you like a yoke over your shoulders to weigh you down. That's what they were doing. You thought you had freedom. Well, let me add something. Now, you and I may say, well, um, how could we do something like that? Because we say in, 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 in our church and the churches around here, the true Christian gospel welcomes everybody into church. You know, we, we have a welcome sign out there. And we're always willing to say to people, come to church. We say that salvation is by faith alone, through Christ alone. But are we tempted sometimes to add something? Say, for example, a drug addict began to attend church here. Would we say to them, well, you can't really be part of us until you're cleaned up from drugs first. Would we place that burden on them? Or perhaps a person who had uh, difficulty with alcohol, uh, alcohol problems. Would we say to them, well, you know, you've got to stop drinking first before you can come and fellowship here with us. Or to bring it even further into our current situation, a transgender person 
might we say to them, you have to stop doing that first before you are welcome here at church? What additional burdens might we be tempted? You see, we're never going to be tempted to say that people have to be circumcised before they can come to, to our church because that's not relevant to us in this day. But there are other things that we could say to put burdens on people to say, you know, unless you get that sorted out, you can't come and worship with us and receive the grace of God. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, has very, very strong words. And his letter to the Galatians, as we've been studying in our, in our Zoom Bible studies, is really about this essential problem which occurred in a church, uh, one of the Galatian churches. And Paul says in Galatians 1 verse 9, We have said it before, and I repeat it now. If anyone tells you um, a good news other than that which you have received, may he be accursed. Paul uses language like that. He says, may you be cursed if you bring in another gospel apart from the gospel of good news. So this is a big issue and it needs to be addressed. And therefore, and I love the way that Luke does this so beautifully and logically. You see initially the problem in verse 1 to 5 of these people bring in the gospel. Then they have a meeting. They have a sensible meeting in Jerusalem. And the names of Peter and Barnabas and Paul and James are all mentioned. You see that in verse 22 and 28. Remember, the essence of our gospel is this. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We are not saved by anything else. There are no good works that we can do in addition to curry favour with God. And so Peter, in verse 7 to 9, he stands up and he says, Do you remember, do you remember that I have had dealings with the Gentiles? And he's referring back to uh, chapter uh, 11, verse 18. You remember that meeting he had with uh, Cornelius? Um, and he, re he remembers how the Holy Spirit came upon the family of Cornelius, who was a Gentile. And um, they received the gift of grace and they became part of the church. He reminds the meeting of that, that God had granted repentance to new life. Peter saw how God welcomed Cornelius into the church. So he's, he's standing as a witness and he's saying, look, Gentiles have come into the church. And there was no talk from God about circumcision. The whole family came in to faith. At no point did Peter say to Cornelius, now look, you and your family, if you want proper salvation, get yourself circumcised. He didn't say that. The next witness that stands up is Paul and Barnabas. Look at verse 12 of chapter 15. Now Paul and Barnabas have been on this missionary journey and they remind the meeting. They say, no, on that journey we saw lots of uh, signs and wonders and these signs and wonders by the Holy Spirit were done in the presence of the Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles were brought together. God made no distinction. The signs were not given because the Gentiles got themselves circumcised. It was all through faith. All through faith. 
And now finally at the meeting, James stands up. Now James was effectively, um, well he was the half-brother of Jesus, for starters. And he was the author of the letter of James. And he was also the de facto leader of the Jerusalem church. And he stands up and he says, brothers, listen to me. And he quotes Old Testament. And he uses this word, 15 verse 14. I think it's a lovely word here. 15 verse 14, if you just see it. Um, he says this. I seem to have got my verses wrong, but it, it says where God at first visited. Can you see that there? I'm checking to make sure you look at your Bibles now. Verse 14. Yeah, thank you. Simon has described to us how God first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. It mentions in some versions that God has visited. And this is a very, very important word, God has visited. Because God has visited the Gentiles as well. To visit means that God takes the initiative to come to us. And Zechariah in Luke chapter 1 verse 68 Zechariah, that's uh, John the Baptist's father, he says, God visited and redeemed his people to save them. And that's the essence of the, Christian, uh, the Christmas story, that God visited. God visited with great tidings of comfort and joy. He doesn't visit with extra burdens. He comes to, to, to give us good news, great tidings of joy, grace upon grace, because God has made us a new people, and Gentiles, that's you and me, have been brought in to this great and wonderful true gospel. And that's why, friends, it was so important, this meeting in Jerusalem, to underline the essence of what salvation is. Right at the very start, at the very birth of Christianity, this needed to be established. Is, by faith alone in Christ alone, sufficient, or do we need to add something else? Friends, we never need to add anything else. We never need to add anything else because this is the gospel. Because it's very easy for us, even here and now, to think that we've got to gain merit with God through our own good works. I'll, I'll, I'll illustrate this to you very briefly before I finish. Imagine a good day in your Christian life. You get up, you have your quiet time, you read a bit of scripture, you have a prayer and you feel God's presence close by and uh, then you, you meet people during the day and, and the conversations go well and you feel that you've been a good witness you're patient you're kind and you don't lose your temper <laughs> and you feel it's been a really good day as a Christian and we have those days don't we but then think of a bad day Get up late because you've been watching Netflix too late. Uh, and you're in a rush. You know those days when you're in a rush and you, know, you don't have your quiet time and you shoot out to your first appointment and you find yourself perhaps a little bit out of sorts and a bit tetchy with people. You lose your temper a bit quickly and maybe at work or with, with family and then you feel a bit grumpy and you come home and you think, oh, what a dreadful witness I've been today. So compare those two days, the good day and the bad day from your perspective. 
On which of those two days do you think you are more acceptable to God? The good day or the bad day? Do you think you're more likely to have God's blessings on a good day when you behaved well? Do you think that your standing with God depends on how your day has gone? No. No, if, if, if you know what you believe in, you know that your prayer on a good day should be, Father God, how glad I am that my standing before you depends on Christ my Saviour, on Christ alone, on a good day. And on a bad day, when you feel wretched, you feel a failure and a rubbish Christian, you can pray the same prayer, Father God, I'm so glad that my standing with you depends on Jesus Christ and his relationship with you on Christ alone. Because the truth, friends, is this. Even in your worst days, or on your best days, your standing with God hasn't changed. You can't add to your salvation. You are accepted in Christ, whether you've had a good day or a bad day. And that, I think, was the essence of what this Jerusalem Council was all about. It's not about currying favour. Oh, I'll keep the law of Moses to please God. I'll get myself cut and circumcised. No, we are accepted before God because of our standing and our trust in Jesus Christ and what he did for us in Christ alone. In Christ alone. And my hope is, dear friends, that he remains our light and our strength and our song. And this is our cornerstone. Um, I couldn't help but look up uh, in the songbook. I must read this to you. In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. Friends, whatever we have to face up ahead in 2021, whatever storms and difficulties, whatever heights of love, whatever depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. And when you feel you've had a bad day, and you feel that you haven't really honoured God, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. He has done it all. The Council of Jerusalem was about this. He has done it all. You can't add to the gospel. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ. I'll stand. And I really hope that um, will encourage you to know the assurance that we have. We cannot add to what Christ has done. But we can live our lives in thankfulness and glory to him. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you that you inspired Luke to take a note of this meeting and record it for us, and that it is not boring, but actually it's the essence, it's the clarification, it's the assurance. And I pray that we will hold to this, Lord, and even when Satan tries to tell us that we're rubbish Christians and, and not worth it, 
we remember that actually you bought us at a great price and everything you've done for us is sufficient. Therefore, we can hold our heads high and we can come to this communion table and we can come and partake of the supper and remember what you've done for us and not be ashamed, but come and say thank you.